The NIST post-quantum competition has started a race for post-quantum cryptography. As a result, we've seen a great deal of research into alternative hard mathematical problems to use as a basis for public key cryptography schemes. Lattice-based cryptography, error-correcting code-based cryptography, and of course, isogeny-based cryptography. All of them have received enormous renewed interest as a result of the pursuit for a post-quantum cryptographic primitive. While the NIST post-quantum competition recently announced that it's favoring candidates founded on lattice-based cryptography, it also encouraged further research into isogeny-based cryptography. But what even is isogeny-based cryptography? Is it as intimidating as it sounds? And what's keeping it behind on NIST's list of post-quantum primitives? Today, it's my pleasure to be joined by isogeny-based cryptography researchers Luca DeFeo and Hart Montgomery, co-authors of a recent publication titled Cryptographic Group Actions and Applications, which Luca affectionately describes as isogeny-based cryptography for dummies. We'll be discussing isogeny-based cryptography and more. Luca DeFeo is a researcher at IBM Research in Zurich, working on quantum-safe cryptography. He obtained his PhD from École Polytechnique, France in, 20, in 2010, with a thesis on isogeny computations before they were trendy. That's the bio. During a postdoc at University of Waterloo, he invented with David Zhao the super-singular isogeny key exchange scheme, later known as SIDH. He then moved to Université de Versailles here in France, where he kept working on algorithmic number theory and cryptography and discovering new isogeny-based schemes. After joining IBM, he finally found his true vocation, sailing the super-singular seas as a pirate of the seaside. Again, they're making me say this, it's the bio. Thanks, Luca, how are you doing? Thank you, Nadim, very good. Joining us also with Luca is Hart Montgomery. He is a research scientist in cryptography at Fujitsu Labs based in Sunnyvale, California. Prior to Fujitsu, Hart obtained his PhD at Stanford under Professor Dan Bonet. Hart's interests in cryptography are relatively broad and include cryptoplexity, post-quantum cryptography, and blockchain. That's, that's certainly an interest. Uh, Hart is one of the dummies the, that's in the bio, He's, he, he wrote that, whose understanding of how to use isogeny is greatly increased as a result of writing this paper with Luca. Hello, Hart. Hi, Nadim. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm very excited to have you both. Um, I feel very out of place having just uh, read a bio where I'm calling one of the guests a dummy. Um, and I, I would definitely want to take that back as much as I can. And I think this is one of the reasons why we're so lucky to have a paper like this. And one of the reasons why we are very privileged to have you here with us today. It's just that out of all of the post-quantum candidates, since the NIST uh, competition began, there really seems to be an aura of complexity, whether it's deserved or not, surrounding isogeny-based crypto in particular. Uh, for example, I've been able to make headways understanding lattice-based schemes. And as a matter of fact, at least to me, they seem to be simpler than elliptic curve cryptography uh, when I tried to look at them. And I, I wouldn't count myself an expert, but it seemed like a subject that I could sort of digest. But 
is the mystery surrounding isogeny-based cryptography merited? Um, or is it just people looking at the word isogeny and uh, freaking out? Um, I, this is a topic I'd love to uh, get into more detail today. But let's start with something more concrete. So could you just describe to us what is isogeny-based cryptography and what's the difference between, um, you know, let's start with the basics. I know that unlike, for example, other primitives, isogeny-based crypto is in fact related to classical Diffie-Hellman in a certain sense. And this is not something that you can say, for example, about lattice-based cryptography or error code correction, uh, error correction codes uh, based uh, post-quantum cryptography. So starting from classical Diffie-Hellman, how would you describe isogeny-based cryptography? I think maybe Luca is a, is a better person to answer this. I think uh, comparing isogeny-based crypto to Diffie-Hellman is a bit um, too narrow because there's more than just Diffie-Hellman in isogeny-based crypto. We may come back to that later. But certainly the most uh, visible uh, artifacts of isogeny-based cryptography really do look a lot like a lot like Diffie-Hellman uh, to the point where they all have this DH in the names, like SIDH or Seaside, which is written C-S-I-D-H. Um, so uh, you really do have this similarity with um, Diffie-Hellman in that uh, usually state the schemes as key exchange schemes with Alice and Bob who uh, want to exchange a secret. They have an authenticated channel. They compute something privately, then they exchange uh, some uh, some data, which uh, is going to be quite symmetric. Like the, usually, the 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 roles of Alice and Bob are really symmetric in the in this uh, exchange, and then at the end they recompute something based on the public data of each other, and they get to some shared secret. Um, the analogy with Diffie-Hellman uh, doesn't stop there because, of course, there's finite fields involved and there's elliptic curves involved. Um, and, uh, of course, the first um, Diffie-Hellman paper used finite fields. And then uh, we are nowadays used to elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman, which uses elliptic curves. Um, so you definitely have all these relationships between uh, elliptic curves, uh, elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman and isogeny-based crypto. So... I'm sorry to interrupt, Luca. There's just one question that I wanted to ask, and maybe that sort of clarifies the intuitive uh, or the intuition that I'm coming when I'm looking at uh, isogeny-based cryptography and especially the relationship to Diffie-Hellman. So when we had classical Diffie-Hellman, finite field Diffie-Hellman, we were basing the security on the discrete logarithm problem, right? And then we had elliptocurve cryptography with elliptocurve Diffie-Hellman, and we base the security of that on the elliptic curve discrete logarithm problem. So the jump between those two seemed to be very intuitively obvious to me in, in, in that sense. We had, an, and this is speaking very broadly, a sort of equivalent multiplication. You know, we had scalar multiplication on elliptic curves, and we could sort of reason about the similarity. So does that sort of same style of similarity hold with isogeny-based cryptography? Is there like an isogeny discrete logarithm problem? Or is that overly simplistic to the point of no longer applying to isogeny-based cryptography? There is no isogeny discrete logarithm problem. Um, the discrete, to have a discrete logarithm problem, you need the group somewhere. Um, because the discrete logarithm problem is you have a group, you have a generator of this group, you raise the generator to some power, then uh, what you give to the adversary is the generator and the raised power, and then the goal of the adversary is to find this power. You have no such uh, thing in isogeny-based cryptography. Although some isogeny-based uh, cryptography schemes still involve a group, 
and uh, that's exactly the ones we're going to talk about mostly today, um, the family of isogeny-based schemes uh, related to seaside uh, is based on the difficulty of some problems related to group actions. So you have something that is analogous to the discrete logarithm problem for groups, which translates to something for group actions, which is usually called the group action inverse problem, um, which is the fundamental problem you want to break um, for this part of isogeny-based cryptography. Uh, now you have to be careful, not all isogeny-based schemes uh, are based on this group action framework. So for example, SIDH, which is the other uh, popular uh, isogeny-based scheme, has nothing to do with discrete logarithms, and um, the problem is going to be uh, called something different, it's going to be called some uh, SIDH problem, usually that's the easiest way to call it, or maybe some people will call it pathfinding problem. Um, all isogeny problems can usually be explained. You have a generic framework which uh, kind of abstractly uh, makes up for all the isogeny problems as some pathfinding problem in some isogeny graph. Um, so we would need to explain what an isogeny graph is to really understand what that means. Uh, but we are really getting far away from discrete logarithms at this stage. I understand. So if we look at uh, SIDH and CSIDH, so these are the two constructions that we can use to obtain cryptographic primitives that are based on isogeny-based uh, mathematics in general. Um, is CSIDH a sort of improvement of SIDH, or do they both uh, emerge from isogeny-based mathematics in sort of like completely different ways? Um, are, is CSIDH Im, uh, emerging from SIDH or are they just diverging from the root, which is uh, isogeny-based cryptography or the math behind isogeny-based cryptography? S, uh, SIDH and C, C, so what you pronounced CSIDH, but uh, it's supposed to be pronounced CSIDH, are definitely related and you can see that in the name. Um, but uh, there is no um, hierarchical relationship, I would say, between the two. Um, historically, SIDH came first, and Seaside is upon on, on uh, SIDH, indeed. Um, but actually, uh, the concept behind Seaside is older than SIDH. Um, so this was first researched in the 90s uh, by Jean-Marc Couvegne, and then revived uh, in the 2000s uh, by Rostov-Stev and Stolbunov. They had this concept of a key exchange based on isogenies, um, which had no name at the time, and uh, which was essentially what is Seaside now. Um, but um, we um, we discovered in the 2000, like in 2010, David Zhao uh, with uh, Vladimir Sukarev and Andrew Childs discovered a sub-exponential attack on Kuvenius system. And SIDH came as a reaction to this sub-exponential attack, essentially, trying to protect the idea behind Kuvain system against the sub-exponential attack. So this is what SIDH is. And um, since we had anyway no uh, practical, uh, no efficient distanciation of Kuvain idea, and on top of that, we had the sub-exponential attack, everyone thought that uh, this Kuvain idea was essentially dead. But uh, recently, uh, researchers uh, worked more on the Kuvenia idea, and they found a way to uh, bring some ideas from SIDH back to the original Kuvenia system, and um, they came with uh, this seaside scheme. So seaside scheme is not an improvement on SIDH, it's an improvement on the original Kuvenia idea. 
it's not comparable to SIDH in the sense that the uh, security assumptions are different. Um, and indeed, you do have a sub-exponential attack against a C-side, whereas you have no uh, known non-trivial attack against SIDH. Um, and as for applications, uh, they have different applications. Actually, C-side and all group action-based uh, cryptography seems to be more flexible and to lead to more primitives than what uh, SIDH does. Okay, so for the purposes of this discussion, let's forget about SIDH and focus on C-side. Now that we understand at least where we can, um, I think that it's important to point out that there's no hierarchy between the two. That's a fundamental sort of thing for uh, listeners to keep in mind. Uh, when trying to map the space of this research. Um, let's say, you know, I'm someone who knows how Diffie-Hellman works. I know how elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman works. I know that for someone like you who's been researching this for a bajillion years, this is a probably very frustrating starting point, but can you give it your best shot? You know, all I know the, is how curve 25519 works. I know what scalar multiplication is. Um, I know what a Montgomery curve is. Um, what, I know what an Edwards curve is, but that's it. Can you go from there to actually telling me, or at least allowing me to intuit regarding the workings of, um, Seaside, something like Seaside? I'll be happy to start. So traditional cryptography, and I'm going to call this Diffie-Hellman based cryptography, as you said before uses exponentiation and groups. So we have a discrete log problem, which is given a random generator G uh, and some element G to the A for some randomly selected exponent A, right? Recover A. We can expand this into the CDH problem, which, uh, you know, is given G, G to the A, G to the B, and G to the AB, find, uh, you know, find AB, or I'm sorry, find G to the AB, and then uh, we can also ex expand this into the decisional Diffie-Hellman problem, right? Which is given G, G to the A, G to the B, and G to the AB, distinguish this from a totally random tuple, right? I think I said the CDH problem wrong there. Uh, but um, I think most of the listeners will be familiar with it. Essentially, traditional cryptography uses exponentiation in groups. Um, and however you implement it with finite fields or elliptic curves or whatever, uh, I guess, sort of group-based primitives you want, the abstraction is the same. It's exponentiation in a generic group. Isogenies are totally different. And as we show in the paper, the proper way to think about isogenies is a group action, not a group. So remember the discrete log problem where we said that given a random generator G, if we raise G to a random exponent, it's hard to find that exponent. In group actions, we have sets, we have a set with random with, with set elements, and we have a group. And sort of the exponentiation is defined as, you know, the, the equivalent operation is some operation that takes a group element and a set element and maps it to a new set element. And we require that uh, sort of the group operations behave as you expect. So if we have G1, G2 star S, uh, it's equivalent to sort of associatively applying G1 and G2 in sequence. So, uh, so rather than exponentiation, 
we're using this this thing called a group action, uh, and, and that's the fundal, fundamental difference between sort of isogenies and traditional Diffie-Hellman-based cryptography. Okay. And so help me understand how putting these together gives you a sort of uh, unified uh, structure for you to describe uh, mathematical properties, for you to describe constructions that then lead you to have uh, the, the, uh, the hard problem, right? The, the hard problem that we're looking for, uh, that we're going to base our um, asymmetric primitive on, because as we know, uh, every single asymmetric primitive out there that's worth anything is basically just finding a hard problem and building stuff on top of it, whether it's um, lattice-based crypto or anything else. So how are you using these operations to get to a hard problem in isogeny or in, in specifically in Seaside? So I guess there are sort of two parts to this question. There's how do we go from isogenies to, to group actions? Uh, and I'll let Luca talk about that in a second. And then the question is sort of what hard problems are we defining over group actions? Um, and these also translate back to hard problems over isogenies. But essentially, the base problem over isogenies is the following, or I'm sorry, over group actions is the following. If I give you a random set element, and then I pick a random group element and, oper and compute the operation between that group element and the set element, and then give you that sort of output set element, it should be hard to find the group element that I use to sort of do this operation. And is that because of some underlying assumption on um, regular, um, the same kind of theory that's useful for Diffie-Hellman, or is there some kind of thing that you're getting from set theory there? Well, this is just an assumption, right? Just sort of like, you know, why, uh, why we assume Diffie-Hellman is hard, or why we assume, say, discrete log is hard, right? There are some groups for which discrete log is not hard, right? There are some group actions for which this problem is, this, this group action problem is not hard either. Um, so, but, but what I have just defined is sort of a, a group action analogy to discrete log, um, and- But is it, it, is it still the same as discrete log when you have these set operations that you're uh, using as well? Uh, it's not quite the same because the discrete log problem is much more structured, uh, right? Because sort of in discrete log, the base set uh, is a group, right? So you can view discrete log as a group action where the exponent uh, is your group, right? And you can verify that generally the exponents are finite fields, so they, they behave like groups. And your base group is your set, right? So sort of exponentiation in this case is in fact a group action, right? But in this case, also the set of our group action is also a group. So this gives us more structure and we can do more things than we could with a generic group action. And in fact, this extra structure is why the discrete log problem is generically broken with quantum algorithms and why generic group actions are not. And we can discuss this more later. Um, I think my goal for this episode is to allow the listener to properly intuit about how this works. And I think that we can all rely on our intuition. You know, I think that when you teach, so I was a professor for a while. And when I was teaching Diffie-Hellman, I always used a clock, right? Because you can sort of uh, show modular operations on that clock. And it's really, and people really get it because I tell them, if you look at the hour hand, because the clock is turning around, you're not going to be able to tell 
uh, how much I multiplied by because there's always this loop around the 12 o'clock mark. What I'm looking for for this episode is a similar intuition, a similar sort of like simple story that will allow listeners to think in the same way about um, uh, seaside and uh, outlining that there are uh, there's a new class of mathematical operations that we're bringing in and saying that this is relevant to uh, specifically why classical Diffie-Hellman is broken by quantum computers is highly valuable. Um, what I would like to do is supplement that with uh, some sort of intuitive example. You know, um, another intuitive example for uh, for instance is. Uh, using billiard balls to describe how elliptic curve cryptography works because you can say that it bounces along the curve when you do scalar multiplication similar to a billiard ball on a, pillar, on, a, on a billiard table. And that's something that I saw in a really good Ars Technica article explaining elliptic curves. Is there something similar that we can be using here? Actually, all those um, uh, clock uh, metaphors work exactly the same for group actions because those metaphors since they are metaphor, they are losing information and actually they are losing the information that makes discrete log special. So you can really replay exactly the same metaphor for, uh, for group actions. But then um, why is it so complicated? Because that metaphor is losing information on, on the group. When you do the, the clock metaphor, you are losing information on the fact that the numbers around the clock also uh, have a, some special property. They belong to a group, so you can uh, you can add them, which uh, which is a bit lost in the metaphor. I think that's perfect. I think the analogy is that in the group-based world, you can sort of combine clock information, right? Uh, in the group action world, you can sort of rotate the clock, but if I give you two clocks in two different positions, then there's no efficient way for you to sort of combine the information. It's more, I actually really like this analogy uh, of the clock, and I think I'm going to explain the difference between groups and group actions in this way. Uh, because basically the difference is, uh, if, if we view exponentiation as sort of rotation around the clock, right, as sort of winding the clock, in a group action, we can't combine information from different clocks together. But in a group, I can I have something that sort of takes the rotation of one clock and takes the rotation of another clock and combines them, right? And this is the group homomorphism, right? If I have g to the a and g to the b, I can multiply and get g to the a plus b, right? And this is, a, this is exactly what you cannot do uh, in group actions. If I give you a star g, where a where star is the group action operation and b star g, I have no way of getting a b star g. Uh, and this is sort of analogous to the, uh, I guess, the combining the clocks. Yes, what I can add is um, formally mathematically, um, a group action is the same thing as a group, where you forget the information on who is the identity element. So if you look at the clock analogy, it's the same as having a clock where you forget where noon is. So it's a clock, but you don't know how much it is rotated. And actually, if you could find noon, then you would be equivalent to a discrete log problem, and so you would be quantumly broken. Okay, let's be precise. So <laughs> I, know, I don't know how much the clock is rotated by, this is classical Diffie-Hellman. 
let's take that clock. What are exactly the steps that I need to do to go from that clock where I don't know how many times I've rotated the hour hand across um, the set of hours, uh, one to 12? What do, I need, what do I need to do to take that and then get some kind of situation where I have an analogy for uh, Seaside? What are like specific steps? I'm starting with that clock. Do I add more clocks? Do I jumble the clocks together? What's going on? Let's say you remove the numbers. Let's say you remove 1, 2 to 12. You just forget those are numbers and you put uh, junk instead of them, like random binary strings in place of the numbers. That would be the analogy for what's happening in group actions and in seaside. So there, there are these interesting paintings by, um, what's his name? That surrealist painter, Spanish surrealist painter, uh, giant mustache, used to have a, uh, I think an aardvark or an anteater or something, uh, um, walk around with it. Um, Dali, Salvador Dali. Yeah, and he had these uh, molten clock paintings where it's just a painting of a clock and it looks like the clock is distorted because of some heat and melting on the side of a rock or something. And um, that was a great way to illustrate elliptic curve crypto because you're taking the very neat, proper multiplication on a finite field and you're replacing it by some sort of like fuzzier uh, multiplication to prevent something like a polar draw from having the same effect that it has on finite field uh, Diffie-Hellman. And so here uh, you're saying that uh, you, you are taking that uh, neat, very proper structure of 1 to 12, and instead of distorting it, you're replacing it with pseudorandom garbage, and that also has the same effect. Stronger more or less. effect. A stronger, a stronger effect yes. because it will be effect, quantum, yeah. uh, resistant. Yes. Okay. I am, I am satisfied with this. I think that's intuitive enough. Um, and so what, what, what is the name of the uh, underlying uh, mathematically hard problem here? And what are the primitives that you're able to obtain uh, basing yourself on the uh, seaside, uh, on the hard problem that seaside is based on? For the name of the problem, every instantiation of uh, a group action will, uh, will have its own name. So for uh, the seaside case, it will be the probably just called the seaside problem. Uh, you can call it the uh, isogeny pathfinding problem in the seaside graph. Um, it's um, the generic name for this kind of problem is the group action inverse problem. Um, so you, uh, you have a group action, you have a group G, you have a set X, you uh, start from an element X zero, you uh, take a random element in the group G, you compute the G star X zero, and your problem is uh, seeing X zero and G star X zero, guess what G is. Which you can see it's absolutely analogous to uh, the DFL, to this discrete logarithm problem, where uh, the group G is the group of exponents and the set X is the group, the, the, the one you, that you call the discrete logarithm group. Um, so when you specialize this to isogenies, it becomes the problem of uh, being given uh, two elliptic curves, E0 and uh, G star E0, find what this G is. And now here you uh, must be careful, uh, what is this group? Because like we haven't said what's the relationship between seaside and group actions. And maybe your audience uh, until this point has been tricked into believing that the group is still the group of analytic curve. But actually this is not at all the case. 
here in uh, the isogeny group actions, the uh, set is going to be the set of all elliptic curves which share some common property. The property is going to be uh, super singular. So the set is the set of all super singularity curves defined over a prime finite field. And the group is something that is called the class group of a quadratic imaginary order in a number field, which is something that's less exotic than it sounds, but still we're not going to explain exactly what it is. Um, suffice to say that it's a very classical number theoretic object. And that's something that is also has also been considered for discrete log, standard discrete log cryptography back in the 90s, but in the end didn't have any uh, obvious advantage over finite fields or elliptic curves, and so it was never. Okay, so we can build Diffie-Hellman style primitives with Seaside. Can we build signature style primitives? Can we build public key encryption style primitives? Uh, and how would they work? Um, we can build a lots of signature of, uh, of primitives uh, from uh, from Seaside. Um, like intuitively, one may think, uh, okay. I have a key exchange, which really looks like the Diffie-Hellman key exchange. So first thing I'm going to do is LGAMAL so that I get encryption. And it turns out that works. Yes, you do LGAMAL and you get a very efficient encryption. That's um, essentially what also happened with SIDH. Uh, if we come back to SIDH, when you start from SIDH and do the LGAMAL style, what you get is Psyche, which is the uh, NIST candidate in the post-quantum competition. Um, so you can do the same to Seaside, you will get uh, Seaside, I guess, I don't know how to, it's called, and you get a CAM key, um, encryption scheme. Um, but you are not going to have the same luck if you try to do this with all primitives. Um, so if you want to do signatures, for example, from Seaside, well, there you are in trouble. Um, turns out you can, but it's not as easy as doing uh, DSA or ECDSA or short signatures from discrete log groups. Uh, you will get something that it's much uh, less efficient. Uh, so we worked out the, uh, this out back in uh, a couple of years ago with Stephen Galbraith, and we came with something that's called C-Sign, which is the signature scheme uh, obtained from C-Side by using some ideas which were uh, taken from uh, lattice-based crypto, actually. Uh, the problem with C-Sign is that signing a message takes hours. Um, and looks very difficult to make this efficient. So actually, this has uh, evolved a lot. There's been uh, very many follow-up papers on CSign, and the most recent incarnation of uh, CSign is called CFish, uh, which is written CSI-FISH. Um, and this is using a very neat trick. Um, the thing that makes CSign's law is the fact that um, you have this uh, class group of a quadratic imaginary order uh, which acts on your set of elliptic curves. The problem is you don't know the size of this group. And it's a hard problem to compute the size of this group. Um, and as long as you don't know the size of this group, uh, this makes everything inefficient. But if you can compute the size of this group, then you can do more efficient things. Now, problem is... You know you know, Luca, I don't think that um, hours to sign a message is a problem. Haven't you seen the uh, seminal uh, PQRSA paper, uh, post-quantum RSA? Of course. You know, it, I mean, I don't even know what we're doing here talking about this. Uh, I think I should just, you know, end the episode, link to the PQRSA paper. I mean, sure, you have terabyte-sized keys and stuff like that, but we're talking about real security and, you know, the... Look! Look at the marketing dimension. You know, the larger the key, 
Yeah. So if we look at the candidates for the NIST competition, we see that, you know, maybe the relationship to um, elliptic curve mathematics or to Diffie-Hellman mathematics is a bit um, rockier than the, than one would expect or, or slightly different than one would expect. But it's still there, and it's still there to a larger extent than uh, uh, error-correcting code submissions and lattice-based crypto submissions. And I've seen some speculation that this is potentially why uh, NIST said, you know, we think this is interesting. We, th we think we need th this needs more research, but we are preferring other classes of submissions. Um, could you say um, more to that? Clara, give us your expert opinion on this because I don't, you know, no one wants to make any assumptions. And tell us more how you see um, the sort of relationship to Diffie-Hellman uh, helping or abetting um, Seaside as a NIST post-quantum crypto submission. I don't think the underlying technical connection to Diffie-Hellman or elliptic curves had anything with NIST's decisions regarding their post-quantum crypto protocols. I think it mostly came down to the fact that isogenies have been sort of heavily studied only very recently. Uh, and this was sort of with, I guess, Luca's discovery uh, of side. Uh, this sort of really brought forward uh, isogenies. And so NIST wanted to be sort of uh, more traditional, more safe. And the, the newness of isogenies, I would guess, uh, scared them away a little bit from selecting them as a finalist. In the end, they were just more comfortable with, with the longer history uh, of lattices, at least with respect to sort of the, the broader cryptographic community. Now, this is just my speculation on NIST. Uh, and I think the NIST team is is super friendly and helpful. And I would actually strongly encourage you to try to get them on the podcast if you can, because I think that would be very interesting. Um, they're very smart and they have a lot of interesting stuff to say. That's a wonderful idea. I'll, I'll make sure to reach out to them. Let's talk about the places where Seaside is superior, right? There has to be some advantages that make it uh, special or more attractive over lattice-based cryptography, which is older, and classic Michaelis, which is ancient compared to anything else. Um, what is it? What are the places where Seaside is superior and uh, is a more attractive candidate? So first you should... Uh Note that Seaside uh, is not a candidate to the NIST competition. It was invented after the NIST competition started. Um, so when you talk about the NIST competition, you're really thinking about SIDH, um, which has a much weaker relationship with discrete logarithms, Diffie-Hellman, all which said until now doesn't apply to SIDH. So that's also a reason why I don't think that the relationship with LT curves has been a motivation for NIST to uh, uh, put SIDH psyche in the alternates. Um, so when it comes to comparing SIDH and Seaside, Seaside is a lot at disadvantage because actually SIDH is, um, uh, has better understood security. We don't know any sub-exponential time attack. Uh, the security is fairly well understood. And it's more efficient, actually. SIDH is more efficient than Seaside. Um, so if you want to compare isogeny-based crypto to other post-quantum candidates within the framework on NIST uh, competition... Well, no, no. Let, let's talk about Seaside. Let's just say um, uh, 
uh, I understand that uh, I suppose NIST was referring perhaps to um, SIDH in particular, or maybe to uh, the broader mathematics that are more recently studied uh, regarding isogeny-based cryptography in general. But let's look at Seaside in particular, forget about SIDH for now. How would you compare it to, um, and what are the positive elements that it has over the uh, candidates currently in NIST from the Lattice Crypto and Error Correction Code crypto sides? So on the one end, I'm going to give a bad news to uh, to Hart. I, I don't think for the NIST competition, Seaside has any advantage. Um, because as long as we are talking about camps, uh, Seaside is less interesting than many other camps. Essentially because the security of Seaside is not very well understood. It's the only post-quantum camp which has a sub-exponential quantum time attack. So this is not great. Right? It's like the RSA of the post-quantum world. It doesn't really make sense. But hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So at the beginning of this interview, we were saying that Seaside has some attractive, cool properties over SIDH, but your statement now just flies in the face of that. How can both of these things be true at the same time? That's what I was saying. But, but if you look bro more broadly, if you go out of just the chem discussion and you think about more generic primitives, that's where Seaside uh, is very interesting because Seaside uh, is the only post-quantum candidate which, for example, gives a non-interactive key exchange. So this is something that we absolutely know how to do with discrete logarithms, which is fundamental for many protocols. For example, uh, the Signal protocol really heavily relies on non-interactive key exchange. And this is something that no one of the post-quantum candidates uh, can do at all. So uh, in this sense, Seaside is the only, only post-quantum candidate for this kind of advanced protocols. And that's probably thanks to its relationship to uh, the old discrete logarithm that this is possible. So Seaside gives you more building blocks. It lets you build different kinds of primitives. And I think that is very valuable because what you need now in order to get off this uh, get over this post this quantum threat is that you need more mathematics. Um, that give you more ways to build candidates and primitives and fit use cases. Uh, Non-interactive use cases are really important, right? If we look at Signal, for example, uh, that entire protocol, the reason why it was so revolutionary primarily over existing secure messaging protocols is because it was able to mimic the SMS use case, right? Where you send a message and that's it, you're done. You don't need the other party to be online. And this was a fundamental weakness of things like PGP or OTR, where you were expecting the other party to be online so you can get their key material. Um, and uh, I suppose uh, TLS also has had uh, the zero RTT mode, which allows uh, faster connections in TLS 1.3. I think TLS 1.2 had that as well, I don't remember. And um, uh, the noise protocol framework also takes advantage of that, as does uh, WireGuard as a consequence, because it's based on the noise protocol framework. So uh, your argument here is that it's a bit fuzzier, I guess it's a bit newer even still than, than, than SIDH, which itself is relatively new, but it gives us some very important and much needed uh, ways to uh, achieve uh, um, constructions that have uh, more use cases, and this is um, extremely necessary. So is it really the only post-quantum primitive that gives us non-interactive key exchange? Is that true? So you can actually get post-quantum key exchange from LWE. Uh, it's just not very efficient. Is it non-interactive though? Yes, so the, the basic idea is I have 
if I have a random matrix A, uh, you can give me STA plus E, and I give you A S prime plus E, and then we sort of multiply the, the cross product of the vectors. Now, this is probabilistic, uh, unless you have uh, an exponentially large modulus, which is a whole another host of problems. Mm -hmm. um, so, so this is why sort of NIST focused on chems is because, or at least this is why I presume they focused on chems. Again, I can't speak for NIST, um, is that these sort of non-interactive protocols uh, are very inefficient and require like a large space or a large modulus. Um, and I should also point out that uh, isogeny-based crypto systems generally have small key sizes. Uh, lattices have quite large key sizes. Um, so if you're in a, a bandwidth-constrained environment, that might be a, a positive. Um, okay, so let's let's move on to the last question. Um, I'm someone who's a cryptography engineer. Okay, I want I'm really excited to learn about the engineering strategies behind. Uh, isogeny-based cryptography, what are some primitives out there that are implemented in a way that you think is practical in the real world uh, for, for practical real-world usage uh, that I can look at and maybe I can decide I want to write my own implementation in Rust and Go. I want to learn about the engineering um, importance behind these things. Uh, I want to know where there's a potential maybe for side channel attacks that I have to watch out for, constant time operations. Uh, who knows? I'm just coming up with stuff. I don't know whether that's a, even a real concern in isogeny-based cryptography. Although, from looking at the paper, I actually can intuit that it must be, given that you have operations that definitely seem to uh, be susceptible to uh, timing attacks. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Uh, do you have any implementations like that that you would encourage the cryptography engineer to look at? Um, definitely look at uh, the uh, NIST candidate, Psyche. Um, it's uh, a professional implementation with a lot of attention to detail and it's very well documented. Um, and of course, side channel is uh, paramount for the third round of the NIST competition. So uh, definitely please do look at the side channel resistance of uh, Saigi. Um, Saigi is actually, uh, from a theoretical point of view, from an abstract point of view, looks very solid. Um, looks very easy to protect against the side channel attacks. But of course, this needs to be assessed. Um, and of course, um, also do look at uh, Seaside. Actually, when it comes to implementation, the differences between all these uh, SIDH Seaside and also the other systems, because there's others, there's, those are no, not the only two, become much less relevant because in the end, the, build, the algorithmic building blocks used to implement these are essentially uh, the same or very similar. Uh, but you should definitely look at the implementation of Seaside. Now, there is no official implementation of Seaside, but there's been a stream of papers, uh, which you can find on ePrint, on implementing Seaside with attention to side channel protection, because uh, even protecting Seaside against uh, simple timing attacks is not evident, needs, uh, needs some work. And so definitely you can look at those papers, which are very well written and uh, very easy to get in. And you will see that there's similarities between uh, the algorithms in SIDH and Seaside. Well, who knew that the uh, escape from the fishy mathematics underlying non-quantum resistant primitives would be at the Seaside? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need to insert a... Um, sound effect and, and, and. 
<laughs> the Isogeny guys are going to love that pun. Do you regret participating in this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> they, they will. No, no, no. They they love puns. Yeah. All the once you, you make know, fishy puns, the, you are uh, you're in with us. Yeah, you're stuck. Well, yeah. What can I say? I really have to ride that wave. Very good, very good. You have a future. You have a future in Azogeny-based crypto. Well, if you're listening and you're interested, maybe you should surf the internet and find the cool links that I've linked uh, below this podcast, uh, talking, um, uh, referencing all the things that we've talked about. Uh, Maybe you can go on github which has an octopus okay no that's that's too far it doesn't <laughs> which is a marine animal um yeah uh i want to say thank you so much i i definitely think that the real dummy here was myself i uh, find this to be a fascinating and way over my head topic and i i'm gonna need to edit this podcast a lot in order to <laughs> make it um as 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 descriptive and as appropriate as I can, um, uh, and uh, as as relevant as I can, especially given that my questions were all over the place a little bit uh, sometimes. Uh, any last words before we close off? Let's just say that um, isogeny based crypto doesn't stop at what we discussed today. There's actually a more uh, exciting topics like isogeny based signatures. Re- right now is. Uh, is a really central central topic. We are finally getting some uh, efficient isogeny-based signatures. So um, we also have uh, delay uh, time delay protocols from isogenies, not post-quantum, which are super interesting to me. Um, so really, come and check out isogeny-based cryptography because there's work for everyone, and it's really fun. We need to have an episode on time delay stuff. Absolutely. I forgot about this time lock crypto, the thing where you do the blockchain thing and do that thing. That was really cool to read about. And uh, thank you. Uh, I'm going to send out an email uh, to these people. Uh, Hart, any, anything that you have to say before we close off? Well, to further address your first point, yes, you should definitely talk to like Benedict and those guys. They'll be great for a podcast on, on time delay stuff. Yeah, I think the field of isogenies is rapidly growing i guess how many papers were recently accepted to asia crypt it was something like 10 right you know it's you know the field is just exploding right now and i think there will be a lot of a lot of interest from the community and hopefully a lot of cool developments and improvements in the space uh, in the near future well one thing's for sure about seaside it's that the horizon is straight in front of us sound effect <laughs> so, okay, uh, Leo Dukas from IBM Zurich and Hart Montgomery from Fujitsu. Um, I feel it was a real privilege to have you on. Thank you both so much. And thank you for listening to Cryptography FM. Maybe next episode, it'll be you who's on the show talking about how you made a coffee machine, reach self-awareness, or hacked an alarm clock to have more hands so you can solve the discrete logarithm problem in a way that's both surreal and fascinating. Or maybe you have a new paper on a protocol or a new cryptographic implementation of some useful primitive, or maybe you've succeeded in using Seaside to come up with a new construction that wasn't possible under the NIST candidates. Come on Cryptography FM and share your insights with us. Have a discussion, listen to my terrible puns, and more. Uh, So yeah, thanks a lot for listening and see you next week on Cryptography FM. Thanks, Nadine. Thanks, Nadine.